Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Lila Nishmas, Ruslin, Bas, Rachachana, and Ezra. Technically, this is our Erev Pesach Shir. As next Wednesday is literally Erev Pesach, and it would be highly unlikely I'll be able to record. But, Saturday maybe I'll be able to. Hopefully we'll be able to squeeze something in. Pesach. Chometz. Golos. A lot of fancy words. Pesach generally. Say Pesach, we know. It's the holiday, Pesach. That dreaded, scary holiday. The house has to be immaculately clean and the foods are totally different in some places <laughs> at least in the olden days there are those that cook everything before Pesach even and they freeze excuse me Pesach we learn, we say actually, in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, Pesach, Al Shem She Pesach, the Hakadosh Baruch Hu skipped over, they jumped over the houses of the Jews when they came to the Makas Bechiris, the last of the plagues, and the firstborns were killed. Firstborn were killed of each family in Egypt. And over the Jewish homes, the Kaddish Baruch skipped because, as they were told, <laughs> as much as some people don't like to understand and grasp and have a hard time with these things, they were told to bring the Karim Pesach and to put the blood on their doorposts, and thereby their, house, their homes will be protected. According to most, this is the Pachaja, this is a similar thing to the mezuzah that we have today on our doorpost, which protects our homes and all those that were, are within the home. The mezuzah, according un, not, not unlike some people would like to think, because of financial restraints or whatever it might be, they only put on their front door, maybe on their bedroom door as well, or their children's bedroom. Every door in a home needs to have a mezuzah, and every, every mezuzah counts. Not only the mezuzah as its kosher status, that each and every letter needs to be in place and f- whole, but even that the, the placement of the mezuzah, on which side of the door and how high and etc., etc., are also relevant to the shemitah of the mezuzah. Pesach, and we have matzah, the unleavened bread. Matzah needs to be baked within 18 minutes. Baruch Hashem, last week to go to the matzah bakery and to bake our own matzahs. 
Baruch Hashem, to see the entire family together, or at least a good portion of the family that came together, they brought children, my nieces, nephews, my children, they brought their children, and they learned how to help and how to do things in the Matzbekri according to their capacity, each one what they were able to do. But everybody felt so important, everybody felt so connected, everybody felt, oh, they're doing a mitzvah now that's going to prepare them for the Seder night, for the mitzvah of the Pesach, which is to eat matzah. Why does one bake themselves? It's a stringency that some take undertake their own and they don't just go buy in a matzah bakery or in a store, in a supermarket, but they take on all the extra stringencies during the baking, and they supervise the baking on their own, and they partake in each thing of the mitzvah, whether it be pouring flour, pouring water into the bowl, whether it be rolling out a matzah, whether it be taking a challah, from the matzahs. All the mitzvahs that are involved, all the things that are involved in the preparation of matzah, so that when one sits down to the Seder night and they hold their matzah in their hands, how special and how wonderful this feeling is. I'm not discounting those who don't do that. You may go to a store and ask for matzah. You may go buy matzah in a store as long as it says that it was done the way it's supposed to be done. Sorry, with the proper supervision, there's no reason not to, have, not to eat that matzah. If it's matzah shmura and it was watched and it was taken care of, that it was within 18 minutes, etc., etc., and today's day and age, they've gone further. They have machine matzahs even that are made within 18 minutes and they cash the machines. I'm not sure exactly how that, that process works. I'm not into the Ashkacha business, and therefore I cannot tell you. But there are those of the opinion that it can be used. Definitely better than chametz. Matzah. The 18 minutes, the concept of the 18 minutes and of the ingredients of the matzah being pure flour and water there's no nothing, no additives literally speaking neither salt nor pepper nor eggs although they said the matzah is very expensive this year because the price of eggs is very high it had nothing to do one or the other because there's no no eggs in the matzah unless eating egg matzah which is not matzah and zainas and is not fit for the Seder. The world has evolved, as we say, and therefore you have people that would eat regular matzah. Then they got very, very important, and very, very uh, fancy, and they started eating whole wheat matzah. And then we graduated, and we have even people that are making oat matzahs, and people that are making spelt matzahs, and people that, all the different things that people have unfortunately have developed allergies to. Shemish Mireim, and Eivish should watch over them, and they should all become healthy, because matzah, one night of matzah is the matzah of, of emunah, of belief in Hashem, one night, one night is the matzah of 
healing. So each night we should eat the matzah of the Seder of Pesach and have in mind tonight is the matzah of Muna, giving me a Muna and belief in Hashem that everything Hashem does is for the best and Hashem has a plan. And the other, the second night is the matzah of Refua, Michle, the Memnusa, Michle, simply a healing. And by eating this matzah, we are asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to take a send to us a foolish name of craver of any ailment that one may be suffering of, any kind of sickness, any kind of chasashon, anything. We ask that this matzah bring us refuah and healing. Matzah needs to be eaten a kezayis. You can't tell you according to a matzah because there are those different matzahs that are thinner and different that are thicker. It's approximately um, five ounces of matzah, I believe. There are different shirim, obviously. There's a shear that is more stringent, that is larger, that is smaller. There are different measurements of what the kezayis is. Consult your local authority to see how much matzah you would need to eat to eat your kezayis. One does need to eat a kezayis for matzah, a kezayis for matzah. One will later need to eat a kezayis for afikaymon. We'll soon hopefully discuss Pesat the Shmaya in the Shir. Matzah, unlike Chomets, cannot rise. The Sachakel difference between Chomets and Matzah one has a ches and one has a hay. Chametz symbolizes haughtiness, gaiva. It rises up. Even without yeast, it blows up. What does that tell us? It tells us that some people who have a very big, shall we say, ego. And their ego interferes with different things. Their ego interferes with different understandings. And the ego interferes sometimes with how they approach things and how they approach other people and how they look at other people. Tells us the message of Pesach, of Matzah, we need to be humble. By one being humble does not mean one needs to say, I am nothing, I am not, I am worthless, I am a garbage, I, am a, I have no reason to continue to live, mm-hmm. no reason to exist, One needs to be humble as we look at Meshe Rabbeinu. And we spoke two weeks ago about Meshe Rabbeinu's humility, Meshach, it says in the Torah, was the most humble person in the world, most humble person ever. And we spoke as well that according to opinions, his humility was based literally on our generation. As Meshach was shown all the future generations until Mashiach comes, 
that had to be depressing in itself, knowing how long it will take for Mashiach to come. And Moshe looked at our generation, <clears throat> where we have a few prestigious people, some circles referred to as G'daylim, excuse me, some circles referred to as Mashpiim, some referred to as Rabbanim, some referred to as Rashi Yeshivas, Few and far between is referred to are referred to as tzaddikim. A tzaddik of a generation is not the ruler of the of the of the generation, nor the head of the generation. Hanasi hu akel. Thus is is the generation. Everything and everyone lives and thrives from the tzaddik of the generation. And when everybody connects themselves to the tzaddik and follows his ways and emanates everything that he asks of them, generation has beauty, it's fantastic, it's amazing. When we don't have, although the Mishnah tells us to say the charav, make yourself, have yourself a rav, when we don't have that rav, We can't improvise. We don't know what to improvise with and how to improvise. But yet, this generation, as orphaned as it is, perseveres, continues, listens to Shiurim, go to Shiurim. They go to Daven three times a day, the men. Women are still keeping all their laws. Mesha looked at this generation and said, I don't know if I would survive this generation. I don't know if I would be able to keep up Torah and Mitzvahs the way this generation is keeping it, in spite of their handicap. And we are a generation that has, unfortunately, a major, major handicap. One of our major flaws is that although in the olden days people also had a problem with Lashon Hara. As we told the story once of the woman that spoke Lashon Hara about a fellow, about another person, another, another woman, whatever. And she came to the Rav and she was crying and she was bemoaning how she spoke Lashon Hara and she wants a form of tshuva, she wants a form of repentance, to repent for her horrific sin. And the Rav thought and thought, and he says, you know what? Go to the market. Buy a chicken, and bring the chicken to your sheikhet, to the sheikhet of the town. Have him shech this chicken for you. And then bring the chicken back to me. But, do me a favor, I'm allergic to feathers. Please see to it that there's not a single feather on this chicken when you bring it back here. 
the woman felt that the Rav, although there's no Beis Hamikdash, no Mizbeach, is giving her the form of a of a carbon in repentance for her Lashon Hara. <coughs> and so, she didn't tardy. She ran to the market. She brought the chicken to the sheikhet. Had him shechted. They cleaned out the inside. And she didn't wait there in the market to flick the chicken. She wanted to bring it back to the Rav so the Rav could see and could tell her she's forgiven. So en route from the market, from the shechita to the Rav, she's plucking the chicken. She's flicking the chicken. And she flicks the chicken clean, clean, clean. It was a very windy day. So you didn't see her feathers because the feathers were being blown all over the place. She came in and she presented the chicken in front of the Rav. And the Rav takes the chicken and he looks to the right, he looks to, he picks it up and he puts it the other side and the inside out. This is beautiful. So that's it? I'm forgiven? So he says, no, 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 wait, one more thing. He says, yeah, anything, please. Now you need to go collect all the feathers. Collect all the feathers? Rebbe, are you crazy? You know how windy it is out there? These feathers blew already to, to, to the other, to two, three towns away from here by now. How can I go? The Rav shakes his head and says, Nebuch, Nebuch, Nebuch. Your Lashon Hara can't be collected either. Once it left your lips, it spread. And it spread to the next town and the town after. And just like you can't retract your Lashon Hara, just like you can't bring back all the feathers, you can't retract the Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is a sev- very, very severe Aveda. And thereby, repentance is very, very hard to come by. Today's day and age, unfortunately, we don't need the wind to blow the feathers. The touch of a button in the wonderful interweb, wonderful world of technology today, between all the social media and everything else that goes on, Lashon Hara is at your fingertips. Both telling it and hearing it and finding out If a person did a sin and did something wrong, everybody knows about it. Do they know what the person did now, what the, how the person changed, how the person re- repented, how the person tries to fix whatever? No. They just know what they did. Are they interested if the person is a better person today? No. They're just interested in what they did, especially if it's something really juicy. This is one of the flaws of our generation, unfortunately. Although, Chas V'Shalom, heaven forbid for me to say that Chas V'Shalom, our generation has any flaws. Amich Kulon Tzadikim, Le'elam Yeshu Oretz, our nation is all righteous. Comes Pesach and tells us, though, we need to find the humility within ourselves. Prior to speaking any kind of Lashon thinking any kind of Lashon about a, se- a fellow person, 
we need to put ourselves in their shoes and see what they, we would do in their place, how would we feel, what would be our reaction, what would we have said, what we have done, etc., etc. Matzah teaches us this humility. The simple matzah of water and flour brought together flour that did not just get bought on a shelf in a supermarket, but was watched from the cutting of the wheat. And it was ground. And it was watched over and it was kept separate from any kind of moisture, anything of the sort, so that it did not become leavened. And this flour now is mixed with pure water that sat overnight so that it settles, so there's nothing in it, no sediments in the water either. This is then mixed at blink of the eye speed and thereby taken out and brought out to people that are working on it and immediately rolling it out and immediately making holes in it, immediately throwing it into the oven, having it bake as expeditiously as possible and all within 18 minutes production of of pound after pound after pound this is the lesson of the matzah the matzah tells us just that how we need to forgive and we need to look past all that we've been through, what's been done and we need to remember that we have our own Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim on Pesach we go out of our own personal exiles and we move on and we forge ahead and we take and we grasp at every little branch that we've given and we hold on to it and we say, HaKadosh Baruch you sent me this branch to hold on to, to pull me up and to pull me out of whatever I'm going through and whatever I'm put, being put through. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch since this is your master plan, I take it and I grab it and I roll, I run with it. several laws of Pesach that I wanted to discuss that are very relevant. First of all, it's important that everybody remembers you need to sell your chametz if you're a property owner, if you have an apartment, if you have an office, etc., etc., you need to sell the chametz. You have to go to a local rabbi or you can today's day and age, unfortunately because of the when we had COVID, people had to do this remotely and therefore it's been done remotely today as well. You can either go online, either to Chabad.org, I believe. They have a way of selling chametz, and there's other places, other organizations as well that have to sell chametz online. Or you can call a local rabbi, or you can actually go to the local rabbi, and you could sell your chametz to the rabbi. And most, I'm sure, any rabbis that do it remotely prefer that it gets text not called in, so the person actually writes down their address, even though you're not writing, but you're marking down your address, and this is the form of giving over more of a take gift to the rabbi, although it's not something that's a must. 
That's how I, my, with my chametz, that's how I do it. When people send me, want to sell their chametz and can't make it here, personally, I ask them to please text it to me so that they can, or email it to me so that I can put it onto my list and thereby, ultimately, Erev Pesach, we take all the lists together, I bring it to the head rabbi of the community, Rabbi Azdaba, and he takes all the papers and all the lists that he has, all the lists I have, all the lists that other Rabbanim have, and the guy comes in, and everything is presented to the guy, and it's sold to the non-Jew for the course of Pesach. We're not going to go into the laws of Mechides Chometz. It's really not relevant to pretty much anybody, except for the fact that you have to just go to the Rav and sell it to the Rav. There are different opinions of how it's done, if it's done by Mishloshten, if it's done regular. I'm not going into any of that right now. A very important law, this Pesach, Manishtana, it's different than any other Pesach, not every other Pesach, but a lot of other Pesach. Pesach is this year, Thursday and Friday. First Seder being Wednesday night. Wednesday night, Thursday is the first day. Thursday night is the second Seder, and and Friday is the second day. Then comes Shabbos. Shabbos we need to eat as well. For those of us that have every Friday or Thursday nights cooking for Shabbos, we know. Coming Shabbos, you got to cook for Shabbos. Cholent, anything else that you're going to make, you make for Shabbos. Although, as I said before, some people cook before Pesach everything, so there's no problem with that, but still in all. We have a problem now. It's not a regular Friday. It's Yom Tif. Yom Tif, we're allowed to cook Eichel Nefesh. Something that we need to eat on Yom Tif, we're allowed to cook it on Yom Tif. Although, as I said before, the stringency that some people have of cooking everything before Pesach, so there shouldn't be any problem with chametz. But if you cook, excuse me, if either you had extra guests, you you weren't able to prepare properly, or you don't have proper freezer space, etc., etc., whatever the reason might be, and you choose to cook on on Yom Tif, you can cook for that meal. Wednesday afternoon, you're cooking for the Seder. It's not a problem. Thursday morning, you need to have a Suda after davening. So you put up chveis, kugel, a roast, whatever it might be. We don't eat roasted meat by the Seder, or roasted chicken, etc. Because it shouldn't look like we're eating carbon Pesach. Um, that was a separate note. Literally just flew in and out. We may cook on by day for the meal. Because we're going to eat it that day. For the night, the second Seder, if one feels they literally are lacking food and not going to have time to cook it for the Seder, 
According to opinions, you'd be able to cook it by yom by day. However, you need to partake from that. You need to taste it, eat from it, on by the day, so that you've eaten from this, so it's cooked for today. And mainly you have also for at night. In most cases, the Seder tardies a few minutes, to say the least, until Kiddush is made, until the Haggadah is recited. So there's no problem usually throwing into the oven whatever you need to put in in the beginning of the Seder. And by the time you come to Shulchan Eirech, the food part of the Seder, you have the food ready. But what do we do about Shabbos? We need to cook for Shabbos. I can't put up my chont on Wednesday and put it in the fridge and put it back up on Friday. Well, I probably could. But it's hard to store. I mean, how many fridge, how many fridge spaces does a person have already? So what do I do? I gotta cook a chont. I have to make it usually another kugel or two for Shabbos. But it's yomtif. I can't cook on yomtif for Shabbos. I can cook on yomtif for yomtif, but I can't cook on yomtif for Shabbos. So the Chachamim, our sages, came up with a mitzvah. It's not just a solution. It's a mitzvah, actually. To make what's known as an Eruv Tavshilin. Many people have heard about Eruv. Controversial, controversial Eruv. Allowing one to carry from one domain to another. On Shabbos. It border, it, it bridges different, Rishuyas, whatever it might be. I'm not a big fan. Don't, uh, I didn't say we have Erev. But the Erev Tavshilin, excuse me, is an Erev that's made so that we can cook on Friday for Shabbos. This Erev Tavshilin needs to be made on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. We take a tafshel, a cooked item, whether it be a piece of fish, whether it be an egg, and we take a matzah, of course, we can't take challah. Mm-hmm. And we make this as our Eruv, and we, there's a bracha that said, you have to look in your sitter, look in the local sitter, or you can, of course, take advantage of the interweb and look online and find exactly what needs to be said and how it needs to be said. Generally, it needs to be done with a second person so that the other person is taking possession of this for you and the bracha is made and then we say after a short prayer allowing us to alight, to light fires to cook on Yom Tif for Shabbos. 
Rabbi, I don't cook. I have everything prepared. I don't need any, any need to cook on Friday. We have a big fridges in the house, and therefore we have a big chant, and it comes Shabbos, it comes Friday, we just put it on the blech, and that's the danya. So I don't need to light any fires. So do I still need to make a Yerif Tavshil? And the answer is yes. A man needs to make this, still have that Yerif Tavshil for his wife to be able to light Shabbos candles. Women, they're on their own, should, of course, refer to a rabbi and ask them exactly what, when, where has to be done by Yerif Tavshil, they themselves can make or if they can rely on the rabbi. Now what happens if a person forgets to make Erev Tavshilm? One time in your life you're allowed to rely on the rabbi of your city who says that I'm doing this for everyone in this city. But only one time, in a, once in a lifetime may one do that. So it is advisable that one hangs up on the walls in their house, in their kitchen, etc. Not every wall. That wall in the kitchen somewhere a little sign, a little settle that says Erev Tavshilin, reminding the master of the house to make this Erev Tavshilin before Yom Tov starts. This is put away, this Erev Tavshilin, until Shabbos, and on Shabbos one should eat this Erev Tavshilin, whenever mm-hmm. they made the fish, the egg, with that particular matzah, there's an opinion that says that that matzah should be used as lechem mishnah for every meal. Opinion. Friday night, when you have to have two matzahs for lechem mishnah, what, that one of the one of the matzahs should be there if tavshilim. Don't break it. Break the other one, so you can keep it for tomorrow and do it again with the, the Shabbos meal by day. And for those that have Sudashli Shit, Salashudis as we call it, to do it with the third matzah, the, the, the third Sudha as well, and to eat it actually by the third Sudha. Those of us that don't have Sudashlishis um, should eat it by the day meal. But the Tashilin should be eaten on Shabbos by day. It's a very, very important thing that has to be done. One should make sure that they know what they did or they didn't do or how they're going to have it done for them, etc., etc., so that they can light, the women can light Shabbos candles on Friday, and if the women need to cook on Friday or men need to cook on Friday, or both, they should be able to, have, be able to do that to cook for Shabbos. It's preferable, as we said before, to try to partake of the food Sometimes foods that are, need to cook overnight and go in to the oven. Michael say it's a not fully cooked yet. Um, it's a little difficult to partake of it, obviously. <laughs> what could it be? Referring to a yapchik. If you ever make a yapchik, you'll know. Unless you made the object before, and now you just put it into heat up overnight, which is a little difficult. The best, it might get burnt or whatever, so this is the best way to put the object in, obviously, 
is on Friday before Shabbos, par-baked as we call it, but enough to be tasted from if you really needed to, and then it bakes overnight in the oven on a low temperature, and if you want exact instructions, how to put water in the pan underneath it, etc., etc., talk to your local chef. It's not my job. Although I, I do it in the house anyway. Anyway, for further recipes, yeah. <laughs> Let's focus a little bit on the actual shir here. This Shabbos is Pasha Sav. We're going to read Pasha Sav. This Shabbos is also known as Shabbos Hagobel, the Great Shabbos. So I'd like to talk about both something on the Pasha and on Shabbos, about Shabbos Hagobel. Pasha Sav, one of the many sacrifices, amongst the sacrifices that are brought, is the sacrifice of the Karabin Eula and a, a sacrifice of the Karabin Chatos. The Karabin Eula was totally consumed, totally burnt, and only the skin was allowed to be used by the Kahanim. Karmachatos, on the other hand, there still were cuts of meat that were allowed to be used and given to the Kahanim. However, the Karmachatos was brought because a person had done a sin, and before bringing the carbon, they would place their hands on the head of the animal and do their confession, and then the, sin, then the carbon was brought. Not everybody saw that. And actually, they brought the carbon to a certain spot. This carbon, this place had to have carbon chatos, this person that, this place had a carbon shlomim, this had a, the tamid, different places in the base of that the kabanas were brought. But the same place that the chatos was brought, they brought the ayla as well. The ayla was not for a sin. And that reason being so that nobody knew if the person brought a chatos or an oila. Nobody had to know that the person had done a sin and was repenting for a sin. So imagine, my friends, if in the time of the Beis Hamidosh they were so concerned with the people not being discovered of their sins, how much more so we need to be careful today where we don't have a Beis Hamidosh, we don't have kabbanas to bring to avoid Lashon Hara, <coughs> to avoid ill thoughts of a fellow of a fellow person, especially when today's day and age with modern technology, where people tend to use these things to, even for shidduchim, and they literally ruin people's shidduchim because a father or a grandfather, a grandmother, or a grandma, somebody once did something wrong, and therefore the children are totally puzzled, totally. Cannot be cannot be married into. Enough said. The chatos was brought with the oilers that nobody knew that a person chatosholm sinned and made taka. Everybody that ever chatosholm did any kind of sin be forgiven, be and do chuba for it completely, in a way that everybody else forgives them as well, and that nothing carries over, and we don't have to have chas the children should pay for the sin of the parents. One of the kabbanas that were brought, one of the, that kabbanas actually, one of the 
mainstay happenings in the Bishamidish was on the Mizbeach there was a perpetual flame. The Pasik says, Eish Tamid Tukadal Mizbeach Lesikbe. This perpetual flame burnt on the Mizbeach, on the on the altar, and you may not extinguish it. This had to be perpetual. There was no interruption. This flame did not go out. Each part of the Beis HaMikdash represents a different part of our body. And everybody knows the Mizbeach hints or refers to the heart of the person. Just like the Mizbeach is a place where the flame needed to constantly be lit, so to a person, in the heart of the person, they need to constantly have the flame of Teda and Mitzvah burning. This is not what's called heartburn, by the way. It's understood, of course, we need to see the spiritual connotations of such a commandment in our parsha, and a person needs to be concerned with justice. The flame of love of Hashem, the hislavos, the burn of in learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, this needs to be perpetually in the heart of every each and every Jew, and God forbid never to be extinguished. The Gemara of the Talmud Yerushalmi, if you can be scored home, it's Masech Tzuma. Peri Dal Halacha Vov Yerushalmi is different than Bavli. It has Halachas Prakim. The Talmud refers to even Shabbos, even. When Jews were tummy, this carbon, that carbon, sorry, this halacha mm-hmm. on its two parts teaches us how we need to love Hashem. The essence of Shabbos is to detach ourselves from any mundane, worldly things that we do throughout, throughout the week person involves themselves in spirituality, godliness. <laughs> Although some people think that Shabbos is a day of rest and they just sleep straight through it, well, they too are involved in very godliness there, I guess, loftily in their own way, in their own service. But Shabbos is a time when we need to reflect and we need to sit and learn and to daven, daven at length, it's time we can daven longer. And since we involve ourselves with so many, to look to involve ourselves with so many things spiritually, automatically we are detaching ourselves from the mundane life. So one would think perhaps, I'm not capable of this Avas Hashem thing.
of loving God, therefore I am attaching myself at this time with higher spheres going into the spirituality. Tells us the Teda Tamid, even on Shabbos, the flame needs to be kindled and burning in the service of Hashem in every which way, time and place. In a higher sphere and higher levels. Unfortunately, we could find sometimes reverse. People, because of their spiritual level, it brings them down to impurity. And therefore they think, I have no connection with this whole perpetual flame to love and to get involved with Aveda Sabere tells us the Taylor Tomid Afila Bituma even on Shabbos and even when a person is impure even if the person's spiritual level is so low they still we need to see to it that their flame is constantly kindled the opposite this warmth of the Jew this basic love to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ultimately brings about justice just this not justice <laughs> brings this out in that it brings the person from this lowly of low to a, high, uh, to a higher and a better place and level. And only this holy flame has the power and capacity to burn through the tithes of the world things that a person would like to have, would like to do. The Yem Yem is brought down that the Mazit Shemagin explained this as well. When Eish Tamit Tukadala Mizbeach, when the flame is perpetually burning on the Mizbeach, a person is guaranteed that Leisichbe will never get extinguished. So to say by having this flame within us on a constant basis and realizing that it's kindled and realizing that we need to feed the flame and see to it the flame rises stronger and stronger automatically we will take away and we will detach any negativity and any kind of things that are not supposed to be there this saying of the Mazitcha Magid is a little bit more explanation on the perpetuality of Eish Tomid on any place at any, in any place at any time technically only if one sits down and opens a Sefer, opens a Siddur and sits and davens 
does mitzvahs with the slavas, with the burn, does one find themselves in a place where they can drive away any other thoughts? Any other thoughts, any other talk, any other things that are not fit for a person to be talking. Because this burn, this flame with the person is driving and, and thriving with, exchanges any other things that the person go through in his mind and protects the person from the Yet Sahara and from the Yet Sahara's plans. So therefore, the Aish Tamid, if the Aish is going to be perpetual, not just for a short time, but perpetual, this automatically protects us from any other wrongdoings. And therefore, each and every one of us being our own pnimi, our own tabernacle, needs to see to it that our flame within is thriving and burning. There are things of teda and mitzvahs that need to be done with chayas, with full life, and with a flame from within. But how can I do that? How do I compare to that person, that learned person, that knows how to learn, and knows all the mitzvahs, and knows the reasons, and knows everything about it? I'm in a mundane place. How do I get to do that? The bottom, rock bottom point is that one does this in the Mekayim Tere Mitzvahs if they're doubtful and they don't know if they're going to fulfill what they have to do or they're trying to add and to perfect their mitzvahs this person that says I'm doing my best and continues to persevere and to try to do their best and truly does whatever they can this person is the person that ultimately thrives and reaches and achieves exactly that to keep their inner flame burning and burning to a level that the sage and the person that knows how to learn so well and knows how to every dedication and devotion is at the same level as they are. This Shabbos, as we said before, is Shabbos HaGadol. The great Shabbos. And the reason is because on this day is brought down in Shulchan Arach happened Nasa by Nezgadl, a big miracle happened. This happened to the Jews in Egypt, the Shabbos before Pesach, the first Pesach. On this day, came out that year, the 10th of Nisan, the Jews were commanded, and this year as well, by the way, is Shabbos Gadol is the 10th of Nisan. The Jews were commanded to take to their homes a little Shepsula, 
tie it to their beds, and this would be the carbon Pesach. So all the elders of the Egyptians, all the firstborns, came and asked, Why? Why are you doing? What do you need a sheep for? And the Jews answered, "They're preparing for the carbon pesach for Hashem." And this is actually one part of the idol worship in Egypt was the sheep. We're preparing the carbon pesach for Hashem, and Hakadosh Baruch is going to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. The Egyptian firstborns heard this, and they started going crazy. They came to their fathers, they came to Pare, they started screaming and yelling, get the Jews out of here, save us. When they weren't answered, they started a civil war. Physical civil war started between the Egyptians and themselves, the firstborns against the Egyptians, saying, get the Jews out. And in memory of that, we have Shabbos HaGadol. What's so special about this miracle? All the other miracles that happened to us in Egypt, all the other miracles that happened to us throughout history, this miracle that the Egyptians fought between themselves, in addition to that, in what way did this miracle affect the Jews even the slightest? They were still in exile. They still remained in Mitzrayim. Still needed the miracle of Makas Becheres for in order for them to leave. So what are we celebrating this Shabbos Hagodl, this big Shabbos? But the truth is that this miracle had something even greater. Something we don't find in any other miracle. Any miracle that ever happened to our forefathers doesn't compare to this miracle. And therefore we find a reason to celebrate it on an annual basis. <laughs> Just for the record, Shabbos Agadu, we don't take out a second Sevetera. Shabbos Agadu, we don't eat anything special. As a matter of fact, many people don't eat Shabbos Agadu, the regular meals. <coughs> they don't bake their own chalas, they don't do this, they don't do that. They improvise. Some people are already eating Pesach food on Shabbos HaGadol. <laughs> so it's not... We don't have a Shabbos HaGadol cake. <laughs> Shabbos HaGadol foods. But it's called Shabbos HaGadol. And it's by calling it Shabbos HaGadol is a celebration of its own. All of the miracles that happened to the Jewish nation, splitting of the Red Sea, Purim, Hanukkah, etc., the enemies of the Jews ended up being killed out or drowned. But the enemy remained an enemy till the very last minute. But miraculously, they perished instead of us, Baruch Hashem. The next Shabbos HaGadol we've seen comes from a whole different angle. The enemy, as it may be, 
the firstborns of the Egyptian, who were technically their elite elite armies, went full force to fight for the Jews. They fought their fellow Egyptians for the sake of the Jews. Get the Jews out of here. So we have a whole different entity happening here. A whole different ongoing. How the enemy sacrificed themselves for us. And ultimately, it didn't get the Jews out of Egypt. The opposite caused a lot of headaches. When we look into it, we think into this, that moment we see how the Egyptians stood up in their full force to fight. After nine plagues, the Egyptians went through and didn't break them. But even as the firstborns came to them and said, please let the Jews go, they were, re- they, were re- they were reluctant. So much so, that they needed to stage a war against them. This lets, leads us to understand how deep was the impurity of Mitzrayim at that moment. And there, in that point in time, where the Egyptians in Tzayim were standing in a full force against God and his nation, the, el- the el- firstborn of the Egyptians stood up, who were the actual elite soldiers, and they went to battle with their, fo- with their parents, with their fathers. And therefore this is a miracle that's not comparable. You can't compare such a miracle. To this, Chassidus explains there are two types, two ways of getting rid of the evil. One is to break it, to totally refrain from it, but a higher way is to turn the darkness into light. To make the darkness itself light, to make the bad itself good, until so much so that it serves Kedusha in itself. This is the highest level. And this is what happened on Shabbos HaGadol. Shabbos HaGadol were given the Kayach not only to overcome the evil, but to know and to develop the Kayachs of the Yitzhahara itself to make him serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a way of Tshuva and a tshuva that's made, not just tshuva, but tshuva that's made, the Danis, Nasli, Kazakhis, the Abedis, are like become merits for the Jews. May we find the ultimate redemption, may we have the ultimate redemption this Shabbos, from the Shabbos Agadl, we have the same ness of the Shabbos Agadl, of the year 2448, have transpired for us as well in 5783. And we have the Geula Mitzvah Shlema, we be Zechen Nechel, Shom and Azvachim and Absachim in Yerushalayim in Akedish this year. Shabbat Shalom, and if I don't have another year, Chakasha Vesameach.